2:36, and them up with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, "Which commandment is the most important of all?" Jesus answered, "The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this: you shall love your neighbor as yourself." There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then John 3, 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy Christmas Eve, Eve. Do you know what? For the first time in my life, uh, all my shopping's done, all the presents are wrapped. Is all, I think all our shopping's done. All, all mine's done. All the presents are wrapped. Tomorrow, just for me, is uh, cooking and chilling out. And I can't wait. Uh, also, happy Christmas, because United won 5-1 yesterday. So, best day ever. Uh, hold on here. Um, so, as, you, as we heard, today's the fourth Sunday in Advent. We've been, normally what we do here, as you guys know, is we'll, we'll just take a, book, take a book of the Bible and, and work our way through it. But over Advent, we've been doing something a wee bit different. We've been taking these themes of, of, um, uh, that are associated with the, with the Advent season and looking at each one in turn and, and figuring out what the Bible says about them. So, uh, first of all, we looked at hope, this idea that, that hope is this um, tense expectation it's not like the way we think of hope where we think of, um, you know, uh, I, I really hope that this might happen. In the Bible, and, and, and what the Bible teaches us hope is, and when our hope is in Jesus, hope is this tense expectation that, that, that God has done something, he is doing something, and he will do something. That we, that, that's the whole point of Advent for us, is that, that we look forward to Jesus' second coming, when, when he will fulfill his kingdom and, and complete his salvation. And then we looked at, at, we, uh, we looked at uh, peace, uh, this idea of shalom, we sung about it in one of the songs, shalom, that the peace that Jesus brings in the world. It's, it's this idea of wholeness or completeness, that, that God is restoring all things to himself, that, that God created the world a certain way and created us for a purpose, but we walked away from that and it's been broken and messed up, but God sent Jesus, God sent his son, God sacrificed himself to restore shalom, to bring everything back to wholeness and completeness. And then last week we looked at joy. And this joy that comes from Jesus, the joy that, that Jesus says to us is that, that we can have full joy, complete joy, because it's actually part of his joy, the joy that God enjoys within himself. There's a lot of joys. The joy that God has within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, he uh, imparts that to us through Jesus, that we can actually be part of that. And then today we look at love. Um, and, and that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a bigger uh, thing, because I was saying to Leanne earlier, like, you could basically like, open up any page of this book and preach about God's love. So how do you, how do you even start? Um, and that's the problem I was coming up against this week. So I, I went on the dictionary.com. You know the classic thing people do? Oh, the dictionary definition. I was like, I'll maybe do that. Turns out, uh, under love, 
love as a noun has 14 definitions in the dictionary and as a verb has eight. So it's a really hard word to find. So where do you start? Um, it has to do with God, right? And we think of love has to do with God, has to do with sex, has to do with romance, has to do with tennis, has to do with all the, love is using these different words. It does. I don't know where, where that came from. Um, and not only that, it matters for us how you use the word love. We use love in the, certain, in the right way, right? So I was thinking about this scenario. Imagine a young couple and they're out on a date. The most romantic male ever, you know, a romantic male, and uh, you know they're very much, uh, you know, getting into one another, and they, they're sitting on a park bench afterwards, looking over the lake, and the moonlight shining on. It's really romantic, and he's like, "This is the night I'm going to say, I'm going to say those four words. I'm going to say I love you." But then he's like, "Oh no, it needs to be special. Like, think how many men have said those words to to millions of women before. I need to make it special." So he's done his homework and he knows, he knows one of the definitions from the dictionary. So this is what he says to her. He puts his arm around her, looks in her eyes and he says, uh, I have tender and passionate affections for you as a member of the opposite sex. It doesn't really, you can use the definitions but it doesn't really conjure up the word love, right? That doesn't mean as much as saying, I love you. It doesn't really work in that moment. Or how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I love that movie. I use love all the time. I'm like, oh, I, I love that movie. I love pizza. I love chocolate or I love football or whatever it is. I love, I love so many things. But if I, say I say I love Man United in the same way as I say I love my children, there's a problem there, right? I certainly should love my children in a diff, at least a different way than I love Man United, right? Or you can imagine if we went out in the streets of Belfast or even probably in this room and, I, and we did a survey and said, what is love? Like, what is love to you? we probably get all kinds of, of responses and meanings. So there's a, there's a, there's a problem here. We need, a, we, need a, we need one solid definition of love, don't we? We need to know what love is. Because in the two passages we looked at this morning, you know, Jesus is saying, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God. For God so loved the world. But did he love the world in the same way as I love Man United or the same way as I love pizza or the same way as you, like, I love having a Chinese and I do love having a Chinese. And so the English meaning of this word is unclear because it means so many different things. And for us reading an English Bible, it's great that we have the Bible in our language, but sometimes we just need to delve a wee bit deeper. So let me pray for us and, and ask God's help. Uh, and, and then we'll kind of look in to see what the Bible's saying about this word, love. Uh, Father, um, we need your help this morning. We need your help to understand. Um, our sinful hearts want to import all our meanings of, of the word love into, into what your word is saying. But Lord, we want to hear what you're saying to us this morning. We believe that the Bible is your, you speaking to us right here in this room. Um, and so, Lord, help us to hear. Give us ears to hear you this morning and be with us just so that we can glorify you and worship you and respond to you in the, in the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of, um, one of the most famous things that Jesus ever said, and, and you've probably heard this even if you're not familiar with Christianity, is he said uh, in Luke chapter 6, he says, do to others as you would want them to do to you. Right? We've probably all heard this. It's called the golden rule. Um, and you, even people who aren't Christians like this because it's nice, right? That's, an, that's a nice thing to do. That's weird, isn't it, when I stand there? That's a nice thing to do. It makes sense, right? I'm going to put the toilet seat down because I'd want to come into a bathroom with the toilet seats down. 
that kind of thing. I'm going to do to others, that's a very trivial example, um, you know, we do to others as others would do to us, and this is what Jesus taught us to do. I'm going to try and move about here, Timmy, see if I can make that stop. Um, but what, what we might not realize is that when Jesus said that, he's actually restating another command that he gives us, something that's a wee bit harder and requires a wee bit more of us. And that's the, what we read today, or he has read for us in Mark chapter 12. In that passage, Jesus, he's, he's going around and he's teaching various places in Jerusalem. It's getting towards the end of his ministry, the end of his three years ministry on earth. And he, uh, he's in the temple court, right? Uh, the center of Jewish life, and uh, there was no separation for, for the Jews between life and religion. They didn't have secular and, and, and spiritual lives. They had life. And the temple is, is the center of that. It's, it's like the gathering place. It's the worship place. It's, it's, it's everything to them. It's where, it's where God dwelt among his people. And Jesus is there, and he's in the temple courtyard. There's, a, there's, the, there's the, the temple building itself, and within that, there's different sections. And then outside that, there's the temple courtyard. And it would have been really busy. It's a place where people went to trade. It's a place where people went to discuss ideas, right? It's a place where people, it's essentially the Twitter of the day. People go there to, you know, spout their ideas and, and ask questions and debate and all that kind of stuff. And there's all these different types of people. You might have heard of the Pharisees. I'm sure we've all heard of Pharisees. Um, and those guys, they were like the theologians of the day. So they would, they would think about, well, what, is, what does this scripture mean? And then what, the, the, what we see in our passage is, is a scribe. And the scribes were a different, a different type of person. They were like the lawyers. So they, they were responsible for interpreting the law. So they took the law, the Old Testament, and they interpreted it and applied it to everyday life. So they would go, they would write up documents for divorce or marriage or for selling a piece of land or for uh, a loan or something like that. They would take what the, the law says and, and apply it to life. And it's one of these guys that comes over to Jesus. And he's interested in the law and he hears that Jesus is teaching some of this stuff. And it says in verse 28 that he, he, seeing that he had answered well, seeing that Jesus had answered well. So this is a guy who's looking for answers. He's looking for the answers to the questions. And, and don't get me wrong, Jesus wasn't the probably, he wouldn't have been the only rabbi there teaching. There would have been loads of rabbis there and they'd all have their different theories and they're all their different sermons. And Jesus was one of these guys and this scribe hears Jesus speaking to the disciples and he's like, he's got something. He, he's, he's, he's got some answers here. And he's got this one question that he really wants to ask. And the question is this, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, before we kind of get into that, you need to understand that when he talks about commandments and the law, it's not the same for us as like obeying the law, right? Don't break the speed limit or you get a ticket, right? It's not that kind of thing. It's not a set of rules to obey to stay out of jail. The law was given to the, the, the Jewish people, to the people of God for their flourishing as a way to life. And so it, it, kind, of, um, it, it kind of informed how they should live, it informed how they should live well and live for the glory of God and, 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 and have prosper, prosperity and flourishing, it's a way of being godly. And so this question, the question about which, which part of the law was the most important, which command that's given in the Old Testament is the most important, that's a really common question back then. People would ask this question because they wanted to see if maybe there was one law that reinforced all the other laws or, or even more common for the Pharisees to ask this question was, is there one law that if we keep that law that, that we don't have to keep the rest of the laws? That's, the, that's what we're looking for. For us, it would be similar to saying, what's the meaning of life? That's how big this question is. What is the meaning of life? 
What's the key to all of this? I wonder if I ask that question, like what, what do you think the meaning of life is? You're all good Christians. A lot of you are, and, and you probably have good answers. But generally, we tend, to live for, we tend to live for family and financial security, don't we? That's what most of us live for, right? We, we, we're, we're brought up telling that. You have to work hard in schools so you can go to university. Why? So you can work hard in university, so you can get a good job, so you can have a regular, stable, good income. That's what taught, we're taught that's really important. We're, we're essentially born into the system. We're born into the system where, where you, you know, the most important things in your life are a stable income and, and your family around you. But what did Jesus say? Jesus says this. He says two things. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Essentially, with all of your being. We could get into each one of those words. I don't have time this morning. He's saying, love God with everything you are. Everything you do, with all your affection, that's your heart, with all the soul, all that you are, with all your mind, all your thoughts, and with all your strength, all that you do. It encompasses your whole being. That's how you're to love God. And then secondly, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he binds these two commandments together, and he says, these are the most important commandment. Two commands which both demand love. They require love. And if you do these things, Jesus says, you're fulfilling the whole law. In Matthew's account of this story, um, actually some people think that it probably happened more than once in Jesus' life. So maybe Matthew and Mark are telling of different, different times this happened with different people. But, but he, he, takes, he takes these two things. He says, this is the meaning of life. This is the key to life. To love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. But that brings us back to our initial problem, doesn't it? Because if, if the key to life is to love God and to love your neighbor, then we need to figure out what does Jesus mean by love? Because otherwise I'm going, well, I, I mean, I love Haley and I love my children and those are both pretty strong forms of love. But I also love all these other things uh, in different ways. So what's Jesus talking about? So if you have the passage open in front of you in Mark chapter 12, it'd be a good idea if I opened it, I suppose got my bookmark here. Look at verse 13, 31. He says this. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus is actually here, he's quoting the Old Testament, which makes sense, right? Because he's speaking to a scholar of the Old Testament. He's speaking to this guy who's interested in the Old Testament. So he's saying, he's saying I'm going to quote the Old Testament uh, because that's what you're asking about. You've asked which is the most important. Now, First problem, well, we've had a lot of problems so far. Another problem is the Old Testament language isn't the language that Jesus spoke. <laughs> the Old Testament, all of it's written in Hebrew. And the, and the Hebrew word for love is ahava. You don't need to remember that. It's just my nerdy thing. But then it gets slightly trickier still because Jesus didn't speak Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic, which was kind of like the everyday version, like the, the layman's version of Hebrew, like it's a, a sister language of, of Hebrew, so it has similarities. And, and the Aramaic word for love, the word that Jesus used was uh, Rahmah. So a different word again. So again, you're going, well, what's, what's going on here? But then to add this other level of complication, when Jesus' followers, his apostles and disciples, when they, after he... Uh, died and rose again, ascended into heaven, and they started to spread the message of Jesus across the world, they used Greek because Greek was the most widely spoken language. 
And so then they took what Jesus was teaching about and what the Old Testament had taught about and they translated it into this Greek word, which is our word for today, which is agape. Probably some of you might have heard of agape. I've seen some really bad tattoos of agape and stuff like that. Christians love it, but they should love it. Agape. Now, earlier on, we saw that uh, we have one word for love and, and it has all these different meanings, right? We, and it gets confusing, but the Greeks in their society didn't do that. They were much more ordered than we are. And so they had these three words that were commonly used for love. Uh, three words. One was uh, eros, right? The, the New Testament doesn't use eros at all, um, but it's to do with uh, sensual love. It's to do with sexual intimacy between a man and a woman it's, it's, uh, the, or, or any kind of sexual love. Um, it, it's obviously where we get the word erotic from. And it's not actually used in the New Testament at all. The, the, the apostles didn't, I guess they didn't really write about that kind of love. And then there's uh, philia, right? And philia is, um, philia is uh, brotherly love. It describes that love that you have, you know, for your best mate. You're like, I really love that guy. That's, that's brotherly love. That's the kind of love you have. It's companionship. Uh, it, it, it's part of that. It's also part of your marriage as well. If you're married, you, you have that love for one another, along with hopefully Eros as well. And then there's agape. And this is the most common word used in the New Testament for love. It's, it's essentially the supreme love. It's, it has its foundations in the very character and nature of God. It's the love that God has loved us with. And this is what the New Testament writes. This is what Mark says that Jesus says. I don't know if you remember when we did uh, our series in 1 John. You might remember uh, 1 John chapter 4. Jesus says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, the word that John's using here is agape. Let us, uh, let us love one another the way that God has loved us, because this kind of love only comes from God. And whoever loves in this way, this agape love, has been born of God and knows God. Love is of God. Agape is of God. That's why we, ha- that's why we can only have this type of love when we're born of God, when we're Christians. Because anyone can experience the other two types of love, right? Anyone can experience like the sexual intimacy. Anyone can experience like friendship and companionship. And those are God's gift to the world, and they're great. But agape is reserved for the people that know God. I mean, it's offered to everyone, but the only people that experience it are the people that know Jesus. It's the love of God that he imparts to us through Jesus. When we trust in him, this is the love that we, we receive from him. Like if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about that, didn't we? The love that, and I alluded to it earlier, the love that, that the Father, Son, and Spirit have within themselves, have for one another. That love spills over and creates the world and creates us. We, and, we, and through Jesus, we get restored into that love. This agape love. Now, I know this is all kind of nerdy, but it's important before we get into the rest of this. This word agape, it wasn't really used that much. It wasn't like one of the common Greek words for love. Um, but but what, what seems to have happened is that the Holy Spirit uh, working through the apostles has them take up this word and give it this meaning. This, it wasn't really used before, so they were able to pour this new meaning into it. And it, so agape took on a life of its own. And it completely fell out of use in classical Greek, apart from Christians using it. 
because it describes the love of God for us through the gospel, doesn't it? It describes the love that, that, that caused Jesus to, to sacrifice himself and die for us. That's what agape is. And here's what's fascinating, for me anyway, hopefully you'll find it fascinating too. There is, you can't define it. <laughs> I'm trying to define it, but you can't define it. And, and the earliest followers of Jesus, they couldn't just go to uh, you know, a dictionary and look up agape. Okay, uh, this is what it means. Okay, we'll do this. No. First of all, they, started, they, they looked to Jesus' example and they said, okay, well, this, what does is, what is the love of God look like? Well, to find out, we look at Jesus. We look to Jesus and, and we find the meaning for this word and we use this word to sum up all of, of what G, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And, and, and as more people became Christians and started to spread, they, they, they followed the examples of Jesus and they, they listened to the teaching of the apostles who had actually spent time with Jesus. And he said, this is how we love. Agape has to be something that's experienced. It has to be something that's received. It's not something that, that you can, can learn. Ironically, I'm trying to teach you it. <laughs> So remember the question that Jesus was asked. What's the most important commandment in, law, in the law? Like, what's the meaning of life, Jesus? And remember how he answered it. Look at verses 29 and 31 in Mark chapter 12. Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Firstly, I said Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes this thing that is called the Shema. It's called, it just means hear. And it was a really, really important thing for, for the, the Old Testament people of God, for the Israelites. This command to love the, the, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your, um, with, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It was, it was the foundation of, of all the rest of the law. You can find it in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and, your, and all your might. It's a statement about the identity of God. It's a statement about who God is. And they took their identity from who God is. Remember who your God is. And you'll figure out who you are. Love for God is the most important thing, Jesus says. But then Jesus kind of sneaks in another wee command, doesn't he? He doesn't answer with one. He goes, like, what's the most important command? He's like, I'll give you two. Sneaks in another one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is also a command from the Old Testament. And Jesus says, this is also the most important command. So Jesus, what is it? Is it love God or is it loving your neighbor? And Jesus says, yes. It is. The most important command is love God and love your neighbor. See, for Jesus, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. This is what agape is. You, 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 can't, you can't love God and, and not love people. It's impossible. Because, you know why? Because people are made in the image of God. And if you say, well, I love God, but I hate, I hate all the rest of you, then you're just lying. You're just lying to yourself. Because we're all made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God. And to love God is to love people. For Jesus, agape love, is, it's, not just a, it's not just a feeling. It's not just something that happens to you. It's not falling in love, right? I don't decide that I'm going to love my neighbor and just somehow fall in love with them. 
It's a choice for Jesus. Love is action. Love is, 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 love is doing stuff. It's a choice that you make and you seek the welfare of, of people other than yourself. You put others first. You put their needs before yourself. This is how Jesus has loved us. And Jesus also went on to teach. He says that we should, um, we should seek other people's well-being. We should love other people without expecting anything in return. Especially for people who are in difficult situations. Especially the poor and the needy. And the widows, back then, if you were a widow, you were you were pro- lowest class citizen because you had no one to take care of you. You had no one to provide an income for you. And Jesus says, these are the people that we should love and not expect anything in return. We should go to these people and we should give of ourselves and give of ourselves and give up of ourselves and not expect anything in return. According to Jesus, this, is, this, is the, this kind of love is the love of God. The love of God is that, that he loves and expects nothing in return. And when we love people in this way, what we're doing is we're, we're taking the love of God and we're giving it to them. And it's a really beautiful thing. It's the way we were created to be. Ephesians 1 says that, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And we can offer nothing in return, can we? This is, like, this is what we talk about every Sunday. And hopefully went in our MCs throughout the week as well. Like the, the gospel is that message that I've got absolutely nothing to bring to the table except my brokenness, except my nakedness, except the fact that I'm messed up and, and I've rejected God. That's all I can bring, absolutely nothing. This is the gospel. When we were dead in our sins, God gave us life. When we were dead, God gave us life. That's what the gospel is. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. I was, um, just this morning I got up here, it was still dark, and as it started to get a wee bit light, I was just looking at these, uh, 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 some of these trees out of the back, and they're just completely, they're just look like, they just look like sticks. There's no leaves, or no green or anything on them, and just against the gray sky, and I was like, man, that's what... That's what Christmas is. That's what the gospel is. There's nothing there. There's no life there. But yet in the middle of that, God speaks in life. That's his love. Who loves a dead thing? God. The gospel isn't about God doing everything for us and expecting something in return. It's about him giving us everything, every spiritual blessing and receiving nothing in return. This is what agape love looks like. And this is the way we're called to love other people. But then one of the things I love is that, uh, can I have that wee cup of coffee? Because my throat's getting really dry. Coffee, you should sort that out. Don't know. Thank you. But Jesus took it even further, right? Because, and he talks about this, and again, we don't have time to look up all the passages today. But he talks about this. He says, well, it's easy to love people you like, right? And we all know that. We find it easy to love our friends because we've chosen them as friends and, and we enjoy hanging out with them. We enjoy getting a pint or we enjoy you know, going to the center. We enjoy hanging out. We enjoy doing whatever it is. And, and they're easy. It's easy to love them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't just love the people that you like. You love everyone. You love your enemies. You love, you love the person that you can't stand and the person that can't stand you. The person that, that just grates on you. The person who has it in for you. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 6. Thank you, Healy. I think it's on the screen. Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
That's me, the ungrateful and the evil. Love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. Interestingly in there as well, is it still on the screen? Uh, do we have that on the screen? No. I, in my notes I have, oh, it'll be on the screen. It's not on the screen. But interestingly, he says, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Lending is expecting something in return, right? When you lend something, you expect to get it back, at least get what you lent back, and maybe get some interest. No, not according to Jesus. In the kingdom of God, lending is, is given away and expecting nothing in return. You love your enemy and you do good for them, expecting nothing back. And for Jesus, this kind of enemy embracing love imitates the very character of God. This is how, this is how God has shown his love for us. Love, love of his enemies. Have you, ever seen, um, have you ever seen the sitcom Modern Family? Hands up, anyone seen it? Like one of my favorites. Uh, Healy says I'm a bit like Cam. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But I, am, I, I kind of am. A bit over the top, but hysterical. But one of my favorite things is how many nemesis he has. He always has like enemies. You know, it's always like someone that's got it in for him. Like they've done something to him. Or like, it's very funny. And, but maybe you don't have nemesis, right? Maybe you do. Um, but maybe you have people in your life who've, who've, who, who've let you down. Or maybe you've had people in your life who are openly out to get you. Maybe you have a, a colleague that, that, that just is trying to step all over you at every step. What about a neighbor that's uh, driving you mental at two o'clock in the morning? That guy. What about the person that used to be your friend but doesn't want to speak to you anymore? These are the people that we're supposed to love with, with agape love, with, with getting nothing in return love, with the very love of God. Look at this. What does it say? It says, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We love our enemies because God loves his enemies, right? Romans 5 tells us that it was why we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to, to, to get a wee bit better or be like, hey God, I'm ready now. No, it was why we were absolutely rejecting him. The same passage says that we were enemies of God. And it's when we were enemies of God that he died for us. This is what the Bible says. We love our enemies because the gospel is the message of God loving his. Essentially, that's it. And this is the message that we celebrate at Advent, right, with light coming into the world. Something as simple as lighting a candle just visually reminds us of that. The light came into a dark world. It's an enemy loving light. We were enemies of God. We just rejected him. We wanted nothing to do with God. But yet he loves us with this supreme love, this agape love. And it's hard. It's hard for us because there's cost involved and we're going to get into that in a minute. But I just want to take a second and ask this question. I'm talking a lot here about loving your enemies. I'm talking about loving your neighbor, and that's hard and costly. What happens when you don't feel that way, right? What happens when you don't feel very loving? I would suggest that most of us don't feel very loving towards our enemies most of the time. I know I, know I don't. Maybe you guys are all holier than me, but, you know, I want to get my enemies back. I want, to, I want revenge. But Jesus doesn't say, in this passage we read in Mark 12, he doesn't say, uh, the greatest commandment is, wait until you feel love for God, or wait until you have emotions for your, for, for your neighbor. 
He doesn't say that at all. He says, he says, just do it. No excuses. See, the notion that we have to feel love before we do love, if you want, that's not in the Bible at all. It's not in the Bible at all. For Jesus, it's about, it's about doing it even when you don't feel it. C.S. Lewis, uh, it, listen, if you've, I don't often, maybe I do, but one book I'd 100% recommend to anyone is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Like That book will change your life. Everyone should read it. But he, he puts it this way. He says, it's kind of about his journey of, of moving from atheism to Christianity, and it's just incredible. But he says this. He says, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your, your neighbor. Act as if you did. Don't, he's not, he's not saying, let's all be pretenders. He's saying, he's saying, we don't wait until we feel it. We just do it. We love our neighbors. Don't be disingenuous. We're not supposed to be false. But what he's getting at is we, we love regardless of how we're feeling because we're Christians. We love people because God loves us, not because we feel like it. Our feelings are unreliable. If I only love people when I felt like it, I wouldn't love very I wouldn't love people very often. I certainly probably would never love my enemies. Feelings just change all the time. And some days you'll be really enthusiastic about loving your neighbor or loving your enemies or, or, or loving God. And any other day you'll just be like, who is God? Like, whatever. But that's not what God says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't wait till you feel like it. Our feelings are so unreliable. But you know who's not unreliable? God. He never changes. Never changes. He never changes, but yet he changes everything. Because who else could change everything except the one that never changes? I think this idea of wait until you feel it, love, is, um, I think it's a product of a couple of things. Like It's a product of our society. I don't know if you've noticed this recently, but it seems like the main kind of, the, the, the highest value in society right now is, is just being true to yourself. Just be who you are. You know, like, forget about everyone else. Just be who you are. Love who you want to love. Um, you know, if you're, if, if you're not being yourself, then you're being fake, and that's not good. And the other thing is that, that, that we have this notion that comes, that love always comes with this warm, fuzzy feeling, right? That we have to, if we don't have that warm, fuzzy feeling, then uh, we're not really loving or we're not being true to ourselves. And if you're not being true to yourself, then, man, you're feeling as a human being, but there's times in my life that I, 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 don't, that I don't always feel in love, but I act out of love. Like in my marriage, like I, don't, I don't always feel in love all the time, right? But I made vows, <laughs> and so I keep them, or try to. Probably don't do it very well, let's be honest. And that's what love is. And what Jesus is teaching us in Mark 12 is, is, just, is just that. You don't wait until you feel it. You just do it. So love your neighbor as yourself regardless if they've wronged you. Love your neighbor as yourself no matter how unpopular they are. Love your neighbor as yourself even if they embody every pet peeve that you have, even if you didn't know you had that pet peeve until you met them. Love God with everything no matter how busy you are. Love God with everything no matter how angry at him you may be. How many of us have been angry at God at some point or other? Love God with everything. Love God with everything, no matter how sick or tired or confused you are. Jesus doesn't give us any get-out clauses or no excuses in this. 
no, no days off. Look at an, an ideal world. Our affections would, would always match our actions, wouldn't they? <laughs> and, and we would always just love with a you know, really joyful heart and be excited to, to love our enemies. But we're not in an ideal world yet. Someday we will be. So instead of using a lack of feeling as an excuse to not love someone, just get to work. We ask God and we think about what it would look like to love that person well, and then we do it. We act in faith, knowing that that love is, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5 tells us. Love is a gift. And so we act in faith. So when I have a fight with my wife, I put my phone down, and I go and say sorry. When somebody at work is telling lies about me, I'm honest and forgiven towards them and, and I act with integrity towards them and, and seek their best interests, even though I know that I may get, get fired or get thrown under the bus in the process. When my neighbor's doing, doing my head in all the time, I knock the door and invite him around for dinner. Because this is what God is like and this is what his kingdom is like. Look at these verses in our passage, verses 32 to 34, if you have it open. Love this. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. <laughs> Jesus like, obviously, I know. <laughs> you're right, Jesus. Cool. Uh, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other uh, besides him. Now, what Jesus is saying, what this means, it doesn't mean that, that God is just one. We still believe in the Trinity. What Jesus is saying, that there is only one of him. There is only one true God. And to love him, he goes on, the scribe goes on, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. This counts for far more than being religious. It counts for far more than than saying the right things and doing the right things and, and, and being holy. In the world's eyes, I mean. It's more than just being pious. It's more than making sure you turn up to church on time every Sunday. It's more, than, it's more than, than, than making sure everyone sees you pay your, pay your tithes or, or, or put money in the offering basket. And, Jesus said, and when Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. See, the scribe listens to Jesus' answer and he's really happy. He's like, Jesus, I agree with that. You're the first person that's ever made sense on this question about the meaning of life. He's like, I've been studying this law for my whole life. And now I finally see that all of this makes sense. That what you just said makes sense to me. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not far from the kingdom of God. You get this. For Jesus, this agape love is the, the love of the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what Jesus came to bring to earth. This is how we treat, this is how we treat God and, and treat people in the kingdom of God. A kingdom where, where God is honored and, and, uh, and magnified and where outcasts and enemies are brought in and loved, given a seat at our table. But Jesus didn't just come to give us a good example to follow. He, he wasn't just, you know, just do this and your life will be sweet. That's not what he was saying. He didn't just come to, to show us how to be good and how to love people well. You see, Jesus isn't just our example. I need you to get this. He isn't just our example. He's also our redeemer. Jesus is our example and our redeemer. 
sometimes we focus a lot on the, the I don't know how to say it, the, the doing parts of Christianity, don't we? We talk about, we focus a lot on, right, well, I need to do this and I need to do that. And it's almost like you have a, a list in your head of all the things it takes for you to be a Christian. You're like, okay, well, I've got to love my enemies and I've got to, um, I've got to you know, have my quiet time. I've got to uh, give to the church. I've got to be kind to the poor. I've got to, all these things. You're like, if I do all those things, we focus a lot on these things. And I know I've just spent a long time telling you to love your enemy, but, uh, but we focus on these doing things, sometimes to our own disadvantage advantage, especially in a place like Northern Ireland where there's so much focus on the way people live. Oh, you need to be good living. You need to be respectable, all that kind of stuff. Everybody wants this kind of life. But the truth is that being a Christian is far less about, uh, far less about what you do and far more about who you are. Jesus is our example and our redeemer. Of course, when we love Jesus... We're going to live in a certain way. That's a natural response. But it should flow out of our love for God. Not, not the other way. Not, not us trying to, to do the right things and live the right way so that somehow we'll be a Christian. That's backwards. And I say that this morning because I was kind of about halfway, this week I was kind of about halfway through thinking about this stuff and thinking about love. And, and then I realized that I was uh, focusing on our love. Like how we love. When I see what we should be doing is focusing on, on God's love, right? We do far better to, to focus less on our love and more on God's love. And I guarantee you that if, if we were to, to grasp God's love, if we were to get this fully, if we were to spend more time thinking about it, more time meditating on it, more time just letting it seep deep down into our hearts, then, then living like Jesus is going to follow out of that. When we grasp God's love for us, we're going to, our lives are going to change. Loving your neighbor will just become normal and, 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 and natural. Loving your enemy will just make sense. And this is where we come to our second passage this morning, John, John 3, verses 16 to 17. Let me just read it one more time. Maybe you've heard these words before. A lot of people have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. We talk a lot about love and I know we've been doing it a lot this morning we, and uh, something that I... Something that, that happens a lot is we, we know that we should love our enemies and we should know we should love our neighbor and then we spend ages trying to figure out well, what does that look like? How am I going to do this? Well, the truth is if you want to find out what love is like, then you look to Jesus because <laughs> he's the embodiment of love, right? This is what real love looks like. He, not only did Jesus live a life of love, serving the poor and healing the sick and loving his enemies, he gave up his life for them, for us. Because he loved them. That's what love looks like. Giving up your life. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why the Son of God came into the world and became the person Jesus. Look at what it says. For God so loved the world. So loved the world. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is saying, look at the way God has loved the world. Look how God has loved the world. This is how. That he gave his only son. 
That's what, the God, that's what the love of God looks like. It looks like giving your only son. And all of you will probably know, right, most of us experience this, that, that love requires sacrifice, right? It requires time and effort and money to love someone. It requires, you know, letting them pick the movie you watch or, or whatever it might be. It requires sacrifice on some level. But look at what the sacrifice God makes. He gave his only son. That's what it tells us. He gave his only son. What, what greater sacrifice is there than that? This is, the, this is the ultimate act of love. And even when we, when we read it in that way, we think of it in these terms of, these earthly terms of, yeah, I'm going to give my only son like God was into child sacrifice or something. That's not, that's not what's going on here at all. Don't, don't think that. Remember, Last week, we looked at how God has always existed eternally in this relationship of three and one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember how we looked at that? Perfectly loving each other, perfectly enjoying one another, perfectly giving glory to one another. We looked at how Jesus says that the glory that's given to me, I'm going to give to the Father. And we looked at how Jesus said that he's so jealous for the Holy Spirit that the only unforgivable sin is when we grieve the Holy Spirit. This is the, this is the love, this is the relationship they had with one another. And this is what Jesus gives up. This is what God gives up. He sacrifices himself. He sacrifices himself. Because he loves you. I get, sometimes I wish I could just get up here every Sunday and just say this, God loves you. Because if I said that every time I open my mouth the rest of my life, I could never say it enough. God loves you. Do you know that? Do you hear that? God loves you. You. Sometimes that's what I need to hear. God loves me. The God who has always existed. The God who, the God who never will have an end. The God who, who holds the stars. There's the space, holds <laughs> Holds the stars in the palm of his hand. The God who, who sees those wee single cell organisms at the bottom of the sea. The God who sees the, 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 the furthest reaches of space. That God. That's the God that loves you. I almost said he, like the Bible says, he, uh, he numbers the hairs in your head, but it wouldn't take him very long to do mine. So. He loves you. And you know how I know he loves you? Not because he's told us, but because he's shown us. He loves you, and I know he loves you because he gave himself up for you. That's what love is. But listen to the end of the verse in John 3, 16. This is what it says. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loves us, and so he gave himself up for us so that we wouldn't die, but so that we would have eternal life. Now, We've talked about this before, and sometimes, I don't know how you've grown up, if you've grown up with the term like eternal life, if you've heard that before, certain traditions interpret it differently, but here's what's going on. Eternal life is more than just life that goes on and on and on forever. In fact, eternal life is outside of time. You can't say it goes on and on forever because that, that doesn't make sense. It's eternal. It does go on and on forever, but it's more than that. It's, the, it, it's life the way God intended life to be. It's life the way we're meant to have life. It's, Jesus calls it life in all its fullness, which I think is an amazing way to put it. Life in all its fullness. This is how we were created for, and, and we can have it now. He says, 
Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus gets this eternal life, this, this life in all its fullness. You ever feel like you're, I don't know about you, you ever feel like you're living for nothing, that like you're working really hard and you're just paying off debts? You don't ever see the fruit of your labor? That's the result of a broken world. And God says you can have life in all your fullness. Now, he's not gonna pay off all your debt, he might, but I'm not gonna say you'll have no debts. I'm just saying that, that, that life takes on meaning, work takes on meaning. Relationships take on meaning. We see that there's more to life than meets the eye. And so we believe in Jesus. We receive life in all its fullness. And the amazing thing is that it never ends. It goes on and on and on. Death doesn't even stop it. In fact, death is just kind of the beginning of it. This is what the love of God is like. He gives us everything when we could just give him nothing in return. That's why Jesus came into the world. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son. God didn't send Jesus. God didn't send part of himself. God didn't send the second person of the Trinity into the world to condemn the world, but so the world through him could be saved. Now, don't know about you, we often think of God as like this big, kind of like angry dad, (laughs) don't we? I do. You know, God, you think of God as this big, like, giant up in heaven. He's really, really, really far away. He made this perfect world, and we messed up, and he just sits there and, like, shakes his head and is, you know, tutting, and is just so disappointed that we've made a mess of it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. This is not what God love is like. The love of God doesn't condemn. The love of God saves. And the truth is that, the truth is that we've condemned ourselves because we've rejected life. We've rejected God. And so we condemn ourselves to a life and therefore an eternity outside of and apart from God. Have you ever heard uh, anyone say, oh man, that was hell on earth? Have you ever heard that? That was pure hell. I'm going through hell. Uh, there's, a, there's a cycle race, uh, diary, uh, a cycle race. It's, it's one of the spring classics and it's called the hell of the north. It's a stage. And the reason it's called that is because it's in the north of France, and when he went there, uh, it's in Flanders, and when he went there after World War I to do this cycle race, they just saw utter destruction and devastation. And he said, this is hell. This is what hell is like. And you know what? They were right. When, when we live without God, you're, you're living hell on earth because life has no meaning. You don't have life. These are the consequences. These guys, they saw the consequences of living without God, of what happens when, when people just follow their own desires and, and, and agendas. We just attack each other and destroy each other. And that's why Jesus says that, he says, if you go on down that passage, he says in verse 18, uh, that if we, if we don't believe in him, we're condemned already. We write ourselves off to this uh, life, uh, and if we don't choose him, eternity without him. Everyone's like, oh, he's gone all fundamental now, jeepers. Yeah, well, this is true. This is what the Bible tells us. And this is what makes God's love even more amazing. Because he doesn't want that for us. He says that he doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us to die. He doesn't want us to be destroyed. He wants us to to live. He wants us to live in the way he created us to live, in the only true way to to, to live. He He created us out of his love, and he loves us, and so he gave his only son so that we could be saved from that, so we could be saved from destruction, so we could be saved and would go on living, and go on living in fullness of life forever and ever. 
This is why the Son of God came to earth. See, God isn't far away from us like an angry dad. God is here. Not in a temple in Jerusalem anymore. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. God is with us. This is what we say at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. You might feel like God's really far away. You might think, well, I don't see much evidence of God. But the truth is that, that, that Jesus, God, walked among us. This is why we sing in the carol, born that man no more may die. He was born so that we could have life. And this is why I've been saying a lot recently that, that Christmas is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just a message of, of, good, of good tidings and joy and all the things that we, we wish on people this time of year. It is that. And I've said it before. We should celebrate and we should feast and we should do those things really, really well. But it's about God coming into the darkness and bringing life where there was no life. Just last night I was reading, uh, I've talked about this before as well. Finley doing his wee Advent readings. Uh, he's doing like his wee story. He, does like a, a Bible reading and then uh, opens his Advent calendar, his Transformers Advent calendar. Got nothing to do with Jesus, but um, the Bible does. And just last night we were reading it, and it's the account of Jesus' birth. And the way it's written is just beautiful. It says that God decided to enter the world in the darkness when no one was looking. That's, that's what he does for you. Like you think, I'm not important, or God doesn't even notice me. He does. That's what his love is like. But remember we saw earlier that love requires a sacrifice and God gave his only son. There is a cost and there ultimately was a cost. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate as we take communion together. You see, Jesus lived his life to show us how to love but he died his death so that we could receive his love. Isn't that amazing? He lived his life to show us how to love, but he died his death so that we could receive his love. It seems, um, I have a friend, he's an atheist, and uh, he says, he says that the strangest part of Christianity is that we celebrate the death of our God. <laughs> and it's true, we do. We celebrate the death of our God. But yet, this meal, when we take it, this, this, this bread and wine, this, this, uh, the, the bread representing his body and the, the wine celebrating his blood, that's a celebration. It is a celebration because in his death, Jesus defeated death. In his death, his death means life for us. You see, death, death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. Did you know that? And so we celebrate his death because it means life for us. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to think about his love for us, the love that, 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 that not just took him to, brought him to the manger, but his love that, that brought him to the cross. And so we celebrate that. Jesus gave us this, this meal uh, for his followers to take. And he, he, he says, break this bread and take the bread. And, uh, and that represents my body that was sacrificed for you. This is how much I love you. I sacrificed my body for you. And, and the wine represents my blood that was shed for you. And that's why we do that. So let's celebrate God's love. Uh, I, I said last week, you know, and I've just been thinking about this a lot recently, that we, we tend to come to communion, the table, and we, we, 
we come, you know, we come like really somber and, and it is a sober thing, but at the same time, it's a celebration. We should be coming here full of joy because look how God has loved us. Look how God has loved us. Let me pray for us and then I'll invite us to, to, to the table.